Hey, listeners, as you know, a bunch of you have supported us on the Patreon platform, and we wanted to use this moment to celebrate two of our newest patrons, Kim O and David F. Thank you for supporting the show. We greatly appreciate everything that you're doing to help us make this great content. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your hosts, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we're going to be exploring the business of building a quality wine co-op. And today, our guest is Roman Horvath, Master of Wine and Winery Director at Domaine Vacal. Roman, welcome to the show. Great pleasure to be with you. I was wondering if you could give Peter and I a brief overview of your background and how you got into wine. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. I did not grow up in a wine region, so I'm not from a wine grower family. I got in contact with wine, with quality wine in my mid-20s. Previous to that, my wine consumption was only in this type of mixing red wine with Coke. (laughs) That's what young people get the chance to drink here in Austria. And it was a good bottle of aged Riesling with this typical kerosene and petroleum aromas, which intrigued me a lot. And I bought my first wine book and yeah, many other wine books followed. And during my studies, I worked in restaurants and yeah, keeping in contact with wine and working as an assistant sommelier. And yeah, end of 1990s, I finished my WCD diploma education. And at that point, I, I said to myself, why not trying it professionally working in the wine business? Without having any practical experience, I decided to do some interns, internships, and I was for half a year in Chile, working with a winery, and then for half a year in France. And back in Austria, I started as a buyer with an Austrian importer, fine wine importer, working there for four years. And at that time, I started with my MW, Master of Wine Education. And 17 years ago, I started with Domain Wachau, the state where I'm working now. And in 2009, I finished my Master of Wine program. At my last attempt, my last chance to sit the exam, not officially, but my wife said it's your last, uh, <laughs> last try. Either you pass or you stop. And luckily, I, I finished the MW program. I think I've had that last try a couple times already, the unofficial one. <laughs> you getting that conversation too, Peter. <laughs> yeah. The costs are enormous <laughs> just to yeah. even take the exam. Financial costs, but also... Social costs because you you separate yourself a lot from other people from the family and uh, that was a certain agreement we had and and yeah luckily it. <laughs> that's good. So Domain Wachau is a co-op. For our listeners who aren't familiar with the co-op, is could you just explain what that is? Basically, a co-op produces wine from grapes that are grown by its member growers or family vintners, as we call them, or members. It's a type of company where every grower, every member has a share in the company. So they are owner of Domain Wachau. Our family growers are owner. And it's their own vineyards they work in. And well, we they, they work in the vineyard. They're responsible for the vineyard work. And together, we try to produce authentic, terroir-driven uh, wine from our region, from the Wachau region. I'm aware that a lot of preconception or misunderstandings or prejudice towards uh, cooperatives. But in many, many situations, many cases, they're valid because European wine production is driven by cooperatives. In Spain, for example, France, Italy, more than 50% 
of the total wine production comes from cooperatives. In Germany, it's a little, little bit less, it's a third. And Austria is only 15 to 20%. And most of them are producing on the lower end, on the lower level of quality. However, there are some exceptions, such as Produttore del Barbaresco, La Chablisienne in Chablis, Cafter, L'Hermitage. Champagne is a chapter for itself because there's also a lot of cooperative production. And Alto Adige, Southern Tyrol, is also a very, very specific situation. And yeah, among them is Domain Wachau, coming from a decent table wine producer with sort of hit and miss with some good peaks of a few wines. We had the chance to have almost a kind of, of start from the very beginning from scratch and turns Domain Wachau into one of the leading white wine producers. But all that has happened is together with our growers because they are responsible for the wine quality that comes from the vineyard. So I'm curious in terms yeah. of how why co-ops exist and what are the benefits are, because when I hear champagne, and I think of like a grow, like an actual purchasing of grapes, but not a, there's no cooperation part in terms of like the ownership necessarily. And so I'm curious on, I mean, obviously there are some co-ops as well, but I'm curious on why do you think co-ops exist and what are the main benefits? Co-ops, most of the co-ops that were today in Europe were established in the 1920s, 1930s, due to various reasons. There was the growing factor of retail business and balancing out or having a positive look on the disbalance between the small farmers, the small growers, and the increasing strength of distribution of the retailing. Growers just went into a cooperation, a cooperative, to have a certain strength. Today, the approach is very, very different because there are a lot of successful negociants out there buying wine in bulk. But being in a cooperative, you're not necessarily following the market. So you have market fluctuations. You have some years where there's huge production and prices for grapes fall. And then you have other years where there's less production. And the cooperative is also here to balance that out to give a decent average income to a grower every year. However, today, the, the picture on cooperatives is very, very different because since the 1990s, we had a, a strong increase in wine quality worldwide. And of course, we had Burgundy and Bordeaux in the past. But since the 1990s, there's an infinite number of top estates of premium producers. And cooperatives somehow lost track getting there. And only a few of them could. And that's because mostly they're too large and they're too much volume driven. But even with a certain size, you can go for high quality. Mostly when you're in a smaller region and a very, very exactly demarcated strict region, such as Barbaresco, for example, Chablis, Hermitage. So these are all high-end um, regions. And Wachau is also a kind of very, very strict demarcated region. For example, being member of our producers association, Vinia Wachau, you're not allowed to buy in grapes or bulk from other regions. You have to stick always with your own production, 100% Wachau. So... Co-ops are more popular in Europe than in the U.S. Why do you think that is? Good question. I think because European wine production has much more history than New World. Because, in, of course, in California, since the 1960s, 1970s, we have high-quality production. But Australia, New Zealand, Southern America arrived later. And that's the time business was developed already much, much further. And the cooperatives that we have in Europe have 
all been were all established almost 100 years ago. So it's also a very, very strong historic issue why cooperatives are so important in Europe. And in Austria, just as, as an example, the cooperative sector is much, much smaller than in other European countries. And how does Domain Vakal differ from other co-ops? So there's some unique properties or unique characteristics that you find with your co-op that maybe you don't see in others? The essential or a crucial quality parameter for cooperatives being successful is to separate the growers function, so the burg in the vineyard, from the management. Because usually cooperatives have a certain size. So there is a huge number of bottles that has to be distributed, that has to be sold to the markets. You need to do highly professional distribution, exports, marketing, communication, and so on. If you have the growers who are responsible for that, in most instances, you don't have the knowledge and experience from their side. So getting to the point to separate the grower side from the management is very, very crucial. And that's what we succeeded 20 years ago, because the growers themselves are highly skilled and highly experienced in what they do working in the vineyard, extremely small scaled. That's very, very often like that. So a grower doesn't have this 20, 30 hectares. It's usually much, much smaller. So describing Domain Wachau, we have in total 400 hectares, which is around 1,000 acres, I think. And we have 250 family growers, vintners. We speak of family growers because very, very often within a family, due to tax reasons, it's the father and the mother or the husband and the wife and the son or the daughter or the grandparents still have ownership in vineyards because of tax reasons, just to, to spread it a little, little more. So we talk about family growers, and each of them has on average only one or two hectares. So it's extremely small, extremely small scale, and which can be a huge disadvantage because it's very difficult to organize and to master the processes. We succeeded to turn it into an advantage because we see them as extremely detailed, highly focused, skilled plot by plot managers of their vineyard because in a complex regions such as Wachau with different altitudes and, and cooler climate and slightly warmer climates, northern part of the Danube, southern part of the Danube, you can never treat a vineyard the same as a different one. You always have to have a, a very, very detailed experience, separated approach to each plot, to each parcel. And that's what we can succeed with this small ownership, with the highly fragmented approach in the vineyard. And our growers are highly connected to the land. They live here, they work here. Very, very often, they're not just growing grapes. They also grow fruit orchards or they work in the forest as lumberjacks, forest rangers. So they're deeply embedded in the local culture and they're part of the lens. There's a very, very strong connectedness to what they do. And this authentic approach in the vineyard just has to be organized and logistically put into a successful way. That's our job here at Domain Wachau, so Heinz Frischengruber, Heinz, our winemaker and vineyard manager, and all the other people working here in, in vinification and communication and export. And of course, our growers have to follow very, very strict quality um, schemes. That's what we introduce step by step. So they have the knowledge, they just needed a vision of where to go and not thinking we produce any, uh, we produce, produce an anonymous uh, good new cleaner that goes into a large bottling of a branded wine. It's rather very, very terroir driven, different sites, different single vineyards, 
For example, our home turf or one of the best single vineyards here is Kellerberg. It's just behind our winery. And on Kellerberg, we have six different rowers working on 2.5 hectares. But they know that they are farming or growing one of the best greener grapes here in the region. They know they will be among the last growers to pick their greener vitina. They know they have to work in a sustainable way. They are going into organic production, not using insecticides, not using herbicides. So they're working for a top quality good vitina. And there's a very, very precise picking plan for all of our growers. So when it comes to harvest, it's not their decision what we pick today or tomorrow or the next week. For each plot, for each parcel, there's a very precise plan when to pick. And the grapes come to the winery. It's small batch vinification, single vineyard vinification. And the four growers that we have in the Kellerberg pick on the same day in the same morning session. They deliver at the same time. So actually, it's the same way as a private estate sending out employees. And our estate, it's just the owner of the vineyard. So there's even more dedication to what they do. Wow, sounds like a lot of logistics with so many growers and so many specialized pick dates. For and That's the crucial, the key points that you need a lot of organization. And Heinz is our winemaker, but he's basically in the vineyard only. So the seller is just vinifying the, the, the wine. Of course, we have seller workers, but uh, Heinz's job is, is mostly checking the vineyards, talking to the growers, defining picking dates, adjusting to the weather patterns, and, and so on. A couple follow-on questions. So for... The size that you have those 250 growers, that's pretty small average size that you said one to two hectares. Is that their full income in terms of the grapes or is this so small because of inheritance laws and this is just something that they have on their property? I'm curious, on is like, are they specialized in growing or is it just something they have? So there are different approaches to that. So some are full-time growers and make a living only from grape growing. Usually that's three, four hectares plus. So the largest growers that we have have eight, nine, ten hectares. That's something that you cannot do by yourself. So you need already some family members working in the vineyard. On the other side, we also have part-time vintners that do just one hectare. In addition, sometimes they grow apricots or work in the forest, or they have a little bed and breakfast offering here in the region because Wachau is extremely tourism-driven. Some of them even produce their own wine. They have this little Heurigen, which is a kind of wine tavern that they open two times per year or three times per year just for a few days. And they do a very small production for themselves. So there are different models among our growers. Sometimes it's one or two hectares and the wife has a full-time shop and the husband is working in, in an agriculture and peak times to do together. So very, very different models. And so for the most part, they're either all in or all out, except for some personal wine that they may make for... Most of the top or high-end cooperatives, you have them all in or all out. Here in Wachau, it's slightly different approach. So we have many growers or farmers that have their own small production, none of the large ones. So usually they have a very small parts of vineyards they work for themselves. And the larger part is contracted with Domain Wachau. Sometimes it's even half-half because they're very, very small. But it's not the way that you have a well-known top estate that has some hectares with us. So usually, so there's the smaller farmers from the region. And so quality is an important focus for Domain Vakao. What are the driving forces behind increasing the quality? Or how are you organizing to improve the quality of the wines overall? You said there was a major shift in the 90s. And then you obviously have to get the vineyard owned to buy in, the growers to buy into how they're farming and changing some stuff. So I'm curious on what are the key things that you're doing to drive the quality up? 
the key thing to drive quality is building an idea of being something strong and being a community that works together. So it's not being just by yourself and working in the vineyard and delivering the grapes to some people that you don't know. So what we started 15 years ago was increasing communication a lot. So we have a lot of vineyard meetings with them, not with all of them together. Of course, we have this general assembly where all of them are invited, but usually these are small meetings in the vineyard in a village or two or three meetings in a village where just 10 to 15 growers meet. We had to discuss um, the current situation because of a lot of rain or lack of rain or how the, the year is going. And of course, we demand a lot from our growers. So we introduced quality programs and initiatives with bringing the vineyards to modern state. Of course, today, I mean, 20 years ago, working in the vineyard was somehow different. So the last 20 years happened a lot, not with the main Baja only, but all over. So introducing the use of cover crop, increasing the planting density, yeah, sustainable certification. So all of our growers, each of them individually is a sustainable certified. We're not using insecticides anymore. These are all things that have to be organized and centralized here from Domain Bajau. But each of them, of course, has to accomplish it in the vineyard itself. Yeah, and at the end of the day, of course, it's also about the income that you get from your work. If you're paid lower than average or lower than your neighbor, you're not that much motivated. And of course, that's also something very, very important. And Domain Bajau succeeded to increase salary income for work in the, in the vineyard a lot. And this is a basic, a crucial motivator. But of course, there must be many, much more above on that. So you, you mentioned that everything has a separate pick date, but then things that are from the same vineyard plot, you're going to bring it at the same time and have a similar pick date. Does that mean you're basically choosing, you're not vinifying everything from every grower separately. You're actually bringing it all in and kind of doing it by plot in advance. You, you know what's going to come in. and, and- Exactly. Okay. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So, so we do have, of course, different levels of origin. We have the regional wines where the plots or the parts of the vineyards, of course, are much larger from one village. And you have 15, 20 growers picking within two, three days. And then you have village wines and single vineyards wines. Of course, there's a much smaller origin, but each of them has specific picking windows or very precise picking days. So as a reference, how many wines in a given year does Domain Vacao make? Quite a lot. We do up to 70, 80 different wines. Wow. A huge number, yes. And in terms of volume, what would that be in terms of either bottles? We or- do in total, we do 3 million bottles per year. You see here in Europe, we measure everything in bottles, not in cases. 3 million bottles, depending on the vintage, because vintage variations are quite significant here. And we work our own vineyards only. So we do not balance out if we have not enough wine. So we, we always have our own production. Wow. 80 different bottlings across 3 million bottles. That's a. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot because we have five bottlings where we do only 1,000 bottles, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000. Then we have single vineyard wines where we do 5,000, 10,000 bottles of, of a wine. And of course, then we have generic wines, more approachable, easy drinking, Cudunio Vitlina, that does 300,000 bottles. So there is a lot between, in between the wines. Does the scope of what Domain Vacao do differ from other co ops? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, what we tried is to have this extreme tight feeling or sense of being a community, a strong, united group of people, of growers. We are kind of yeah, quality leader and trying to being a little bit ahead of, of the time. 
because usually a cooperative is much slower in decisions and reacting to market changes, global warming, and so on. So that's something that we try to accomplish as quick as possible. And making decisions has changed. So some 20 years ago, you could make plans for five, 10 years ahead. I think nowadays you have to, to change your plans every, every second year because of external influences. And yeah, it's about the strong group of people that we are. You mentioned a little bit around how Domain Vakal works with the growers. In general, how is the business managed? Is it like any other business where you're the winery director, you manage how things work, and then maybe there's a board of some of the growers, or is it a little more democratic in some way? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. And there are also some preconceptions uh, towards that or misunderstandings. Basically, it's a very, very democratic form of company or approach. Of course, we know if it's too democratic, it's hard to find quick decisions and to make strong decisions. A cooperative is not profit-driven, so it's not our goal to make a profit at the end of the year. Everything that we earn or that we succeed to earn on the market is to the profit of our growers, so it's the income of them. So technically, we pay them in euros per kilogram, but we see it rather as a salary or an appreciation for work in the vineyard. So we could also express it in euros per hectare. There's a huge complex system behind paying them because the Wachau Valley is extremely complex. So on steep terraces, we pay more than on the valley floor because on the steep terraces, the, the work is more. Sometimes it's oh, many vineyards, there's handwork only. So a very artisanal approach and no mechanization. Then we pay higher. Riesling is paid higher than Cudrina Vitlina. The single vineyard selections are paid higher than a generic Cudrina Vitlina. The time of picking is very, very crucial because the earlier you pick, the less risk you take because with a cool climate region, sooner or later we have rainfall and there's a rot infection, rot pressure, and you have to select and you have to reduce your yields. When you go for a single vineyard smarag style, you have lower yields anyway. On the terraces, you have lower yields, so that's higher paid. So there are many, many other parameters behind that. In addition, yeah, sustainable certification is higher paid, organic certification is higher paid, and so on and so on. And at the end of the day, our goal is to pay for the product, for the grapes, as much as possible. So it's actually the other way around to any other producer or business entity because they want to buy the raw product as low priced as possible. We want to pay it as high as possible. And our budget for the coming year is made on the harvest that we finished, on the plan that we can sell, on the average price that we can sell. Then we have personnel and all the other costs that we have for bottles and labels and so on. And then we make a budget to have a zero profit at the end of the year. And the better we manage Domain Wachau, the higher paid our growers. And the better they produce the quality, the better we can position our wines. And yeah, that's the basic idea. The growers are owner of the cooperative. They vote in a general assembly for a board of directors. So there are about eight to 10 members of the board. And there's also a supervisory board. And in the, in the past, or in many other cooperatives, these growers try or want to have a certain influence in management. But with Domain Wachau, it's very, very different. Of course, 
me as a wine director, I report from time to time and tell them, well, this is our plan there. And here we need five people in addition or export is going to be increased and we need to export people because we are going for the Asian market now and that's very new for us and so on. But it's more reporting and the management is done by Heinz, our vineyard manager and winemaker and myself. And you mentioned that the growers vote for the board. Do each growers get an equal share or is yes. it? Yeah. It, so it's not, if someone has nine hectares, they have the same voting as someone who has one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds a little bit weird, but that's not actually the issue of being successful or not, how the votes are uh, distributed among the growers. It's about the trust and the belief that can be possible something great with good work in the vineyard. And then organizing the work in the vineyard and the grape reception and, and the small batch vinification. And that way you can succeed to do something really special. So what happens if someone doesn't like the direction of the co-op is going? How do they exercise their voice? Is it just in that vote? It's a certain open system. So if a grower doesn't like our approach going for quality, preferring having less work in the vineyard and then being lower paid. There's always the option of stepping out of the cooperative, of leaving the cooperative. Of course, there are minimum, so there is three to five year minimum contracts, but you can also leave earlier, but then you have to, that you're not getting the full payment of what you did. So usually you have to fulfill the contract, but there's no, should I say, no enforcement for anybody to stay in the cooperative. So everybody has their own choice. Like in any employee being with a company, so it's your own choice working here because you you like the vision, you like the idea, you like the way that the company is going, the state that is going. Fifteen years ago, when we introduced our new quality idea and vision, of course we had discussions with some or the other grower, and some left Domain Wachau. But in the last fifteen years, we stayed pretty stable with four hundred hectares, more or less. But there's a certain, a little bit of movement because some growers are getting too old and the next generation is not stepping in. So they're stopping working the vineyard and they lease the vineyards to some other people. Then we have other growers that are approaching us because they're not doing their own small production for the wine tavern, for the hiding anymore and have 100% with Domain Wachau. So there's a little movement in Hectridge, but more or less it stayed stable the last decade. Can any grower join the co-op or is there some qualifications to get in? Basically, anybody can join. And that was a little bit different in the past. Today, we are setting very, very strict quality rules for someone coming completely new to Domain Wachau. For example, being ready for going organic production, either he or she is doing already organic production or going into transition very, very soon. So this is a strong prerequisite uh, for starting with the maker currently. And so I get the idea of trying to pay the growers as much as you can to get zero profit, but it's almost from a chronological perspective of a business a little bit hard because it's a little backward, right? Because normally you would pay the grower when the harvest comes in, but you would price the wine after the wine is made, which there's some period of time. I mean, Mostly white wine. So actually, we pay them not wine is sold because they get paid quite quickly and regularly. So we split the payment for one harvest into certain parts. So they get regular payments every second month, and the budget is made after harvest anyway. So there's a set price for everybody. 
and it's double, three times, four times higher than working with any other bulk wine producer or on the open market. So it's a highly appreciated system and approach here in the region because growers feel they have a, a home in the cooperative. But if you decide that you're able to raise the price or conversely, you need to provide a discount or something in order to move some volume, doesn't that impact the profitability of the business and therefore what you could pay the growers? Of course, if we would discount our total production by 20%, then yes. But that's not what, let's say, how the distribution of quality wine is working anyway. So we are trying to increase prices every year. In these days, even more than ever before, because also cost tank increasing. And there's a very, very stable, high-priced positioning of the winery anyway. Of course, if you're working on the lower ends of the market and you're, you're prone to market influences or you need to move some 200,000 liters extra and you have to discount it, then it can, could have an influence on the grape prices as well. And that's the mistake of many, many cooperatives. But if you have a, a solid quality branded positioning in the market with a very, very broad distribution, you are never in the situation that you have to decrease the payment of your growers. What can happen is that you have an extremely small harvest because of weather influence, hail, as we had in 2020. And if you don't harvest anything from your vineyard, which can happen to some growers because there's hail in certain spots in the region, that could have an influence because as a large estate, you have uh, pretty strong, high fixed costs, all your personnel and equipment and the winery unification and so on. But that's the advantage of a cooperative because we can balance out the payment so we can pay stable and we also can accept a loss in one or the other year because the other year we're going to, going to make a, a profit again. That wouldn't be possible if you're selling your grapes to someone. If you don't ha have anything to sell, you're not paid. But we can increase the price for the little grapes they have picked and harvested so they have a stable income when there was hail, for example, or a very, very small crop. Yeah, my other question was related to that. If you have such a big acreage and you get hit with some kind of inclement weather, I would assume that you have to have some form of operating capital that you're banking for the rainy day or hail day to be able to compensate for that. But I am curious if this methodology, if you find it's at all at odds with kind of pushing the quality or, or pushing, increasing elevage or trying to do new things with the wines, like it, does it stop you from doing some experimentation because you're so focused on making sure that you're stable for the growers? Not at all, because we do a lot of experimentation. So we have, for example, a, a new range of wines that's called Domain Bajau Backstage, where we do a little bit of M4 and stone container vessels fermentation. Of course, we cannot change from one day to the next our 3 million production from classic terroir-driven Gudunivitlina to natural wine production because it's just my personal idea that I, I prefer this type of wine. <laughs> but otherwise, there's a huge flexibility because it's a very, very solid economic entity. Actually, the other way around, even if we had two, three years, extremely bad weather, so any, any other grower not being with Domain Bajau would lose all its income because there's no wine to sell. We can balance out and pay them still for a certain volume because the economy behind the company is very strong. So what are the most pressing issues and opportunities that Domain Vacao has in front of it now? More or less the same as any other estate and wine producer. Yeah, we are working 
with global warming, and that's very important, not against it. So we know that it, it's very, very present. But we also know that the vine, the plant, is a highly adaptable plant. So it changes its behavior with increasing temperatures. And it's not only about increasing temperatures, because I mentioned hail several times. We had that two consecutive years in 2020 pretty strongly and in, in 2021 again. The extremely changing weather patterns are a huge problems. So you have to be more flexible and adapt your, your work in, in the vineyard. So global warming is a big issue. The other thing, of course, is what Austrian wine is facing in general. The perception of Gudrun Wittlina, where is it positioned and how is it welcome on the market? But otherwise, there are no specific cooperative domain Bachau challenges for the future. Roman, we wanted to wrap up this episode on a personal note. And we're curious on what was the most memorable wine you've had in the last year and who did you drink it with? Well, I'm sure, or I hope so. I had a lot of memorable wines. I hope so too. In the past. I'm not that good in remembering this extra super terrific bottles. So usually the best bottles are the people that you like most, that you drink the wine with. The recent bottle that I still have in my memory a few weeks ago was a Domaine de Comte Lafont, Claude de la Barre, 2017. And because it was such a ethereal elegant wine driven by lightness and finesse, but having so much structure and depth at the same time, of course, enjoying it and drinking it with my wife. But we finished the bottle so quickly because it was so good. It was just amazing. Always a good sign when it goes by quick. Oh, I forgot to take notes on this. <laughs> so it was that good. <laughs> no, that's a wonderful wine. I had that a couple months ago. I thought it was fabulous. Roman, thank you for sharing so much about cooperatives as a topic Peter and I have been dying to cover, and uh, we couldn't think of a better guest to have on our show to talk about the intricacies of building a quality co-op. Thank you, Peter. It was a great pleasure being with you. And of course, I know cooperatives are kind of complex system. It's hard to explain how they work, but I'm very, very convinced that it's a great system for quality wine production because it's such an artisanal and such a culturally embedded system where the growers are so locally strong, connected to the land here. So it's also a very, very modern approach and ethically and socially sustainable approach because you're working with so, so many small family uh, growers. Well, thank you for sharing all that insights. We appreciate it. Thank you. And don't forget, you can become a patron of X Chateau by visiting patreon.com slash X Chateau if you'd like to support us to continue delivering content that the wine industry needs. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.